Welcome to Consumer Adventures. My name is Giorgia Pasqualetto, and in this podcast, I bring you behind the scenes of emerging challenger consumer brands. Today with me, I have David Kellerman, co-founder and CMO at Frank About Tea, a small company with big ideas that is disrupting the tea business. We're definitely in for a very interesting story, so let's get started. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm doing very well. Fantastic. My pleasure to have you. So why don't we start by introducing briefly the product and most importantly, what is the big disruption that you're bringing to the market? Sure. Um, yeah, to put it simply, what we do, we buy RT direct trade from farmers in uh, Kenya and in Sri Lanka. Uh, in Sri Lanka, we mostly deal with the factories and we ship it directly to uh, customers' doorstep. So it's direct trade tea delivered uh, delivered to your home. Uh, I think the main features, and then that's more or less discovered uh, after doing extensive customer research, is uh, how we differ from supermarket tea. Is uh, it's, it's better quality, it's fresher. We use uh, higher quality ingredients, um, and our customers, in a sense, call supermarket tea slurp tea. And they simply want to have something which uh, suits their own view of themselves. So a higher quality, more impact-driven uh, tea brand. Uh, and that's what we mainly do. And if you talk about disruption, I think if you look, and that's, I think that that's the main reason why we started uh, what we started, is that what you see in any commodity supply chain, that being uh, chocolate, cocoa, or tea, there's still a, a really colonial way of doing business, meaning that we as the West are mainly profiting from uh, low price production, either in Asia or in Africa. You have producers unknown of their end consumer. They don't have resources to innovate. You have a consumer who isn't fully aware where their tea is being produced or under what conditions. And you have a, you have a company in the middle who understands the production as well as the, as the consumption, but is not willing to change uh, because of uh, their uh, stakeholders or shareholders uh, mm. that simply want to make a profit. So what we did, we went three months into East Africa to start the company. Uh, took a motorbike and traveled through the entire supply chain. So we started in, in Rwanda, uh, traveled through Uganda, and we ended up in Kenya. And we spoke with everyone there. So from farmer to plucker to factory worker to buyer to auctioneer up until the uh, minister of agriculture in Kenya and, and simply ask them the question, like, what should change? And a lot of people then say, yeah, not a lot. And if you then take a bit deeper, you understand why they're saying that, because they are still making a good buck. They make good money without adding enough value. So then back to like, what do we innovate? It's really simple for us. We simply cut out every middleman in the supply chain. We pay a, we contribute to a fair living income. So farmers can send their kids to school, can pay their own, their normal bills and simply can make a living for themselves doing what they love. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, David. You touched so many different interesting points um, and I would like to now explore them a little bit further. Um, I would like to start from the beginning. So you mentioned 
um, a three-month trip on a motorbike. I would like to start from there and tell us a little bit more about how it all started. How did you decide to leave for this trip and how did you get into, um, into all of this? Yeah, so like maybe backtracking on like on, on like the motivation why we start. So I have a background in political economics. My co-founder has a background in economics and development studies. So we both knew about um, you know the 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 unfair working conditions, supply right. chains that simply don't work. Uh, I was working for a plant-based uh, startup, food startup, and my co-founder was working for an NGO in Ghana, helping cocoa farmers with improving their yield per crop. Um, but what she really lacked and was missing was like, how do you skill impact beyond the three farmers I'm helping now? And what I was really missing is like, how do we improve commercial entrepreneurship and make it more social or environmentally more responsible? And on that on that like intersection uh we actually met and she told me about a project she was starting uh, i was intrigued uh, we digged a bit deeper and we tweaked it a little bit we made a small pivot because we really wanted to have a product with um that would create impact with every purchase that was made so no csr scheme or one for one simply if that product is being sold someone downstream you know on the production side of things is making better money because of it and the consumer is getting simply a better product uh, because he pays a bit more right so did you actually start from wanting to uh, work with the entrepreneurship side of things or did you start from wanting to solve uh, issues in the tea business um, how how did you find this gap in the market to to solve with your product? Yeah, good good question. I, I think we, we get that a lot. To to be honest, but no. To be honest, I I wasn't even a tea drinker when I started Frank about tea. Like I was more a coffee drinker. And I still like my coffee. I mm -hmm. definitely am drinking a lot of more tea now, but. So, so the inherent drive wasn't so much because we loved tea. Uh, it's mainly because we've so, we, we, like every like every commodity supply chain doesn't work, and right. there's a lot of um, social initiatives within coffee, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, environmental initiatives within chocolate, and tea yeah. is a little bit um, underserved in that sense. And I think that's mainly to do with the perception that tea has. It's, it's, it's a female-driven, uh, it has a softer kind of nature to it. It has a fair trade kind of, uh, you know, perspective almost on it. Like, hey, like there, there, there must be, like there, there isn't anything wrong with that sector. Right. And, if you, and mm -hmm. if you look under the hood of that sector, it's actually worse than coffee and cocoa combined because it's a, there's more people employed in tea than there is in either coffee or in, in, in chocolate. Um, so that back to, for us, the question like, Hey, shouldn't we start something, something there? So we do have a fascination for food because we feel that through food and the brand, you can really, you know, you can, you come into what people already know. So you don't have to re-educate them about product. Absolutely. You can simply tell a story by selling a product they know, but then at a better quality, and in a better narrative uh, and thereby creating impact with the supply chain. So 
To sum it up, no, it didn't start because of tea, but we really do see tea as a vehicle of creating impact. So we want to, in the future, we want to go beyond tea and more, you know, it, it needs to lead to a, how do you lead a, a better, more conscious life without having to sacrifice, you know, a, a lot in that sense. That's very, very interesting. And it's, it's actually very true. We are more familiar with these issues in the coffee business, in the chocolate business, but we hadn't really heard of it in the, in the tea business. Very, very interesting. Tell us a little bit more about the trip. Um, you and Valerie, who's now your partner, right, uh, left yeah. for yeah. this trip. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, to, to be to be frank and, and no pun, but like it, it, it is uh, it, it is one of the best you know things of starting the business, like the mm -hmm. the research phase, you know, discovery phase. Like you simply, yeah. like it's a bit like brazen because you don't know what you get yourself into, and you simply you're searching for an answer while still fully creating that question. You you are looking to answer in that sense. Um, but like, yeah, like how, like how it started, like we did a lot of desk research. We talked with a lot of experts. Right. We called a lot of NGOs that are, you know, locally operating. But we didn't, like we didn't really got to the, the core of what we're trying to, you know, what we're trying to, to solve in a sense. Like what is wrong with the supply chain and what should we do in order to improve it? And like, if you talk to an NGO, they talk from their NGO perspective. If you talk sure. to an expert, they have their own little domain expertise, but if there's, if there are little companies actually trying to create impact and that's, that's, that's what we believe. If companies are responsible at, at this current day and age for a lot of the problems we experience globally, then they can also be the solution. So at that point we feel like, let's, let's stop talking with anyone who thinks they have someone of a say in that sector and, and start talking with people who are actually working in that sector. So we booked a ticket and we knew like a lot of people don't know East Africa and, and primarily Kenya mm -hmm. is the biggest tea exporting region uh, globally. So right. Kenya primarily has the biggest tea auction for export. So China and India, they're bigger producers, but they produce a lot of, a lot for domestic consumption. Right. Um, so for us, and, and Valerie has, you know, someone of a love affair with Africa. Uh, so I jumped on the bandwagon and, um, and then you simply, you start with the initial contacts we had. So like we started to ask around like in our direct circle, like, Hey, is there anyone, you know, within either the tea supply chain uh, within any ministry and via a friend, a school friend, a high school friend of Valerie. Uh, we got into contact with the uh, Rwandese ambassador, so we went to to, to Belgium, had had a had a tea with him, and we talked about what we actually want to do. It's like, yeah, sure, I can I can make I can make contact. So we got uh, connected with the Rwandese uh, Ministry of Agriculture, and they simply gave us a tour, you know, to like various factories, showed us various, you know, tea plantations. Um, but in some sense, you always get the, the Disney experience of that country. So beyond that, we simply looked for tea factories online, again, mm -hmm. asking around in our network and call them if we can come by and have a chat, either with the tea factory manager, the tea director, or the conglomerate, which is, you know, uh, sitting above that. And I think the, in, in Rwanda, uh, 
English is not being spoken widely, but in Uganda and Kenya there is. So you could simply sometimes we simply showed up at the factory, and um, yeah, to again to to be really honest, like then uh, the white privilege thing is something that in a sense comes in handy because people mm-hmm. like it's still a like the majority of bosses or buyers are still white. So. In, in the Netherlands or in, in Europe, if you show up at a factory, you sound like, yeah, you don't have an appointment. So like, why should you come in? It's, it's not that we did abuse it, like far from it, but we've noticed that there wasn't a big hurt of us simply showing up. And because they understood, like, we had good intentions, right. um, we were you know, mostly welcomed. And then you start to do some due diligence. We started speaking with farmers, asking them about the working condition, how they got paid. They have a stake in, in, in the factory. And then you simply drill down on a certain list. Like, do they fit our sustainable conditions? We asked for samples. No, we got uh, shipped samples from a certain factory actually on the day that we left Kenya, on the end of those three months. We already talked with them. You know, We reviewed their sustainable um, policy. Um, and, and they actually had the best samples. So we are inherently sustainably driven, but we understand as well that customers don't always buy in to, to a sustainable mission. If you are at the counter or buying something online, like everyone in any discussion uh, or, you know, talk with friends, like, yes, I love sustainability and it needs to improve, especially for the lack of a better word, us millennials say that we want to improve the world. But the moment someone needs to buy something and needs to pull out, out uh, its, its wallet, then absolutely, like selfish customer desires are still uh, paramount. It like does, you know, does quality align with me? Do I like the brand? Is the packaging nice enough? Like, so these drivers for us in the beginning were really difficult to distinguish, but we did understand, you know, that without really good quality tea, we wouldn't be able to create a certain scale to create the impact that we needed. So that was definitely an, an important drive, but no, in, in general, like, yeah, it, w- it was a great trip. Like it's, it, it's a small, like it's a small adventure in, 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 in simply going by talking with, with, with everyone that's relevant within the supply chain and, and thereby building the, uh, the foundation of your company. Absolutely. The last time we, we spoke, um, I recall you were in Africa, actually. Where is the company based and where are you based at the moment? Officially, we have uh, we did away with, with the office to start of this year uh, because we've, in a sense, pulled the entire company online, meaning that, you know, we've, we've been slaving and building the company and startup life can be beautiful, but it can be rough at the same time as well meaning that we invested a lot of time within the company and we sometimes forgot to build the life privately that we loved as well. And since, right. you know, we as a brand stand for positive change, more conscious lifestyle, we also felt like, hey, if we preach what we do uh, from the business end, why aren't we always doing that in our private lifestyle? So that's the moment that we decided to take the company uh, remote and, you know, live in a certain sense in certain countries that we really either had a connection with from our company or from a private, uh, private point of view. And Uganda was actually one of the first companies, I'm sorry, countries that, um, that we visited in our three months journey uh, at the start of Frank. So that's one of the reasons why we went back there. 
plus it is a really really great country to live in um, and it actually it showed us that there's a lot of poverty a lot of inequality um, and for us again good to reaffirm um, you know what we're doing what reason and why we do that absolutely i really like that it also helps us to get a flavor a little bit of the company as well and in terms of the team how many are you at the moment we're with four in total mm-hmm. four to five uh plus some freelancers uh yeah. so yeah we, we had to like size down because of corona because we we're mainly selling the past three years we've mainly sold b2b so Businesses. lots of corporates mm-hmm. you know scale ups co-work spaces not and you can do the math they all closed so we almost decided actually to close down the business last year uh, because simply we couldn't find you know a direct revenue channel of a new revenue channel without you know uh, getting new money in because we finance ourselves based on our own cash flow and which wasn't you know humongous or really really substantial but we were like growing uh, 200% a year then again on a relatively low revenue but then again we saw we did see growth we could finance ourselves buy it but yeah with having you know 98 of your revenue cuts um yeah what do you do then you know um, absolutely so we, we did have a serious conversation i think in april 2020 like hey how should we continue and should we continue and then we all we were three uh, we were four at the time as well um and we felt that There, there, there's too much in the brand like our product our product is really really good uh, I'm, I'm easily I'm uh, easily able to say like we have one of the one of the besties in the Netherlands um, but as well on the brand the story and our mission there, there's too much still uh, left to be uncovered you know um, and that's the moment that we said like no like if we have a reason to exist our customers will show us you know, either by buying us or, you know, getting in certain collabs that will help keep our company afloat. And well, that actually happened. So one of our uh, corporate customers, PwC, an accountancy firm, they bought tea packages for their entire personnel, for their entire, yeah, all their personnel in the Netherlands. Uh, which helped us, you know, get our revenue up again mm. for that quarter that we lost um, by the closure of all the, the restaurants, of all the, the, the companies and, and the scale-ups. Um, and then we did, yeah, we, we pivoted a little bit into the, um, the, 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 the gift packaging area, right. the, mm-hmm. the personnel, you know, shipping of packages. And then we was like, like, shouldn't we like revive that channel that we started when we started Frank about tea and that was B2C so directly delivering our teas uh, to customers at home. Right. But we did quit that you know, channel in the beginning because we didn't have either the resource mm-hmm. and the knowledge. Right. And I think in the past time we've, we've generated a lot of knowledge on e-commerce, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't yet have the resource. So we actually went into a, uh, into the area of, of, of attracting new finance. And that was a journey in itself. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I know so, it was. It was last month, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've um, uh, it took us like six months, mm-hmm. which is quicker than we've anticipated. But still, a long time is really barely stringing on. Um, 
and we've talked with like a host of different players. So we've talked with VCs, uh, impact um, uh, investors. Um, we've talked with funds, you know, more sustainability funds. We've talked with angels. Um, everyone who we, in a sense, thought had money and had some relation to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We, we simply found that the fit either with VCs uh, because they only are only focused on, uh, on, on, on extreme growth. We don't believe in that model. Um, these um, impact funds, they are only investing in more or less scale-up type companies and we are not yet at that phase. Right. Um, and a lot of angel investors are, are mainly commercially driven. And we are really focused on creating a sustainable company, not only in how we produce or how we sell or how we do trade, but as well in how we grow our company. We believe more in the Patagonian motto of building a hundred year company yeah. instead of building a high growth company that, you know, does, you know, round after round after round then goes to an IPO and then actually then is being shown what the actual market value is. You know, they've, they've uh, created huge growth, but they are not profitable at that point in time. And we don't believe in that model. We believe that's a repetition of, you know, either the Robert Barons at the start of the 20th century with the Rockefeller kind of um, approach um, and, and won't, you know, create a better sector because then growth become paramount. And growth is not only... Uh, the metric that we should base, um, you know, impact or change on. Uh, change on. So um, then we started. Then we decided to shift and only focus on like either impact entrepreneurs or family offices. Because what right. we find with family offices, they have inherently built into their company a degree of um, sustainability of like sustainable growth because they want to deliver their company to their next generation and the next generation and next generation. And of course sure. they need to grow somewhat, but the primary driver is, is, is protecting their heritage. And, and that in itself, you know, harbors different mentality to their investments. And what we see as well with, with a lot of family offices is that um, they have either generated a lot of revenue in sectors that are now considered either unsustainable or, you know, not up with times. And they are trying to shift business models as well. And they either want to reinvest their money into more sustainable outlets, such as ours, or they want to, they want to make a pivot themselves and want to ally themselves with innovative uh, companies uh, such as uh, Frank and very, very interesting. Very interesting, the um, distinction um, about investors uh, that you gave us. Thank you. And yep. in terms of your investors, are they also strategic partners that contribute um, some um, capabilities to, to the company that you, that you might need? Yeah. No, it's like, like from the outset, we were always like looking for smart money, mm. meaning that... Um, you know, beyond having uh, a somewhat filled bank account, which is really nice because we can execute on our strategy. Uh, we also want to have people that could help us, you know, either leverage uh, our company by using their networks. Yeah. So one of the companies has an e-commerce themselves. So right. they are somewhat in the same online focus and premium retail folks that we have so they can help mm-hmm. us with you know like we're now to talk with them about development or you know marketing uh or product sourcing 
And the other party is a player that has a more B2B focus, B2B retail focus. Mm-hmm. So in the near future, there's not, not a direct focus now, uh, but in the near future, they could help us with you know developing B2B retail concepts, such as like an iced tea, for example. They've recently bought uh, a tea um, tea sack factory. Mm-hmm. So you know they could help us on that end. Uh, right. but both they do have, you know, somewhat of affinity with what we're doing and can help us grow in that sense. Absolutely. Changing a little bit the topic, coming back to your background, have you always wanted to start your own business or is it something that you found yourself into? I think it's more the second. So I, I, I never started, like I never was that person that you read like in the entrepreneurial books, like right. oh, I had in my small business, I was selling this, I was hustling. Like what I did know is, is I'm not a person that needs to work for someone, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm either too stubborn. I know stuff, you know, certain stuff too well. And, and I don't believe in certain direction that people are taking, you know, and then looking at my own either parents, which, you know, I, I uh, healthily disagree on certain aspects, made me ask the question, like, am I wrong or do I simply see, uh, see things differently? And that's more or less, you know, that, that, that thought maintained throughout you know high school university i think my first conscious moment that i was like hey maybe i should become somewhat of an entrepreneur was in my uh university uh i was working for a cafe that was mainly being run by students mm-hmm. um and financed by students um and so we run everything so we run finance we run hr we develop our own menus we do some research uh, and we need to pay the bills um, and that in itself breeds somewhat of an entrepreneurial mindset I know like at one point I was making a suggestion uh, I think either about the menu or about like sh- shouldn't we change sourcing you know because we need to up quality and we're paying too much and we, I don't really trust let's say the sustainable outlook of that partner and then right. someone's like like one of my colleagues like but then you simply go research right mm-hmm instead of smacking that idea down or saying like it doesn't fit with our policy or, you know, so no, if, if you believe that's better, then go research. And for me, it's like, ah, but yeah, of course, why not? You know, if, if mm-hmm. I think something is better, why shouldn't I research to see if I can do it better instead of either shouting it or, you know, uh, discrediting or cr- critiquing someone that I don't believe in, why not doing it myself? And I think the second moment came at the end of my master's. So I was doing political economy and I applied for all the classic, you know, uh, functions you would do uh, being a political economist. And that's mainly within, you know, the Ministry of uh, State, uh, the European Union uh, and embassies. And I got accepted in a few of them amongst the embassy in New Zealand uh, in the economic affairs part, which, you know, It is fun because it shows your parents that you have, you know, you finally are doing something they they believe in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was asking myself the question, like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to build my resume? Am I doing this to impress other people? Or am I doing this because I really believe that this is my journey in life to walk? And I felt like in the past 15 years that the last question, my journey that I need to walk in life wasn't within following, you know, wasn't taking on that embassy position. It was mainly in, in building somewhat of an impressive resume to impress, you know, my family and my friends. 
not, not so much friends, but like mainly my family. And I didn't feel comfortable with that. So I decided to ditch that, that, um, uh, that internship. And um, I approached a friend of mine who was just starting out with his startup. So that, that's a plan-based company that I spoke about in the beginning. Yeah. And I asked, like, do you, do you need like anyone? Like maybe in the marketing and sales uh, end of things. Uh, and he said like, yeah. And, and like he knew me uh, because we worked together before. Um, so I approached my university, asked them, like, can I switch? And they were a little bit like hesitant. Like it doesn't really fit the profile. And normally people go to this outlet and that outlet. Mm. And then I told them like, what is your primary drive? That I, that I end up in a job uh, where I'm happy at and good at, that I can apply certain, you know, knowledge that I've learned within a master or that I end up that fits perfectly with the university, but that I'm either not the best at and I'm not going to proceed it. And that was convincing for them enough to say, um, do that. So I joined that, that startup and that showed me like what a startup actually is. Like it's, it's, again, it's beautiful from the inside. It's a lot of hustling from the inside. But then again, that thought again, permeated of like, I didn't agree with certain stuff, how it was being done within that company. And I think I could do that better. Um, and I think at that point in time, Valerie approached me with like, hey, I'm starting my own thing. Um, what do you think about it? So yeah, that's, that's for me, that's the moment that I felt like this is what I should do. Um, yeah, and actually it is really fun. It's really fun thinking of a thought or an idea and then putting it into action and then seeing, you know, seeing what sticks, seeing what works. And it's definitely not like, you know, sunshines and rainbows. It, it is it's really, really hard work, low pay, a lot of, you know, critique by your parents. So you, you definitely have to withstand as well as if you have a low salary, like a lot of stuff, a lot of your friends go out to dinner. They can have a affordable house, go to holiday, can buy clothing. And we couldn't do that for a few years. But for us, like for me, um, in the beginning, especially when we're still, you know, putting tea into tea bags and blending our own teas um, and then working until like 11 o'clock in the night to have filled your, th- you know, you know, your, uh, after having filled 3000 tea bags, like, why am I doing this? And then, you know, reverting back to like that feeling of, of understanding that you're creating impact in the supply chain and you're building something that you believe in means at least for me, way more than having affordable house or a good salary or that car or respect by my family you know like i have respect for myself and and, and i think that's what drives me um yeah until this day fantastic thank you very much for sharing that a very yeah. big why um behind uh, it all and thank you for making it as well so real and to explaining your thought process uh, as well it was very very interesting what I would like to explore next is um, you and Valerie, I know you are a couple. So I wanted to ask yeah. you, how is it to run a company uh, as a couple? And if you could also explain to us uh, how the split between the two of you looks like and how do you make sure. decisions um, and, and so on. Yeah, Valerie is my boss. So we're female, we're female-led. And then, yeah, roll back to like how we started. So me and Val know each other from student life. We weren't really friends. We were acquaintances. We were really good friends. You know, like one of my good friends was a good friend of Valerie. So there's always someone of a linkage. 
Yeah. Um, but we started out as business partners. And yes, of course, there was some, some tension, you know, sexually. Uh, but we then really consciously decided not to mix business with pleasure. And that really worked well for a time. Um, and I think especially for the first six months. But I think the moment that, you know, business and private gets blurred and it happens uh, when you go to Africa, it was, you know, the three months journey we made in the beginning of Frank. Um, yeah, like, like when are you business partners when traveling and doing some of, you know, it, it had similarity with backpacking because you went from hotel, hotel to place to place, visiting spots and these spots weren't like bars but they were tea factories there is somewhat of a private adventurous element to that we fell in love i fell in love <laughs> to put it honestly i fell in love so at, at the end of that journey we i actually asked her the question like how are we going to proceed and she told me like like what do you mean it's like like I, I mean like this how are we going to proceed and then she's like, like, there is no us, and this is not going to proceed. <laughs> yeah, so my heart was crushed at that point in time as well. Difficulties, you know, how are we going to do this business-wise? But we got through that, and I think the moment we raised some initial startup funding uh, within a startup incubator in Chile, yeah, which I know it's the other, other end of the world, um, uh, yeah, we, we've landed in, in Chile and in the bus, she asked me like, hey, but like, we do have a relationship now, right? It's like, you are the most wicked female I know in my life. But yes, I was still in love. Not so much by choice that we started a company as a couple, but mainly we had to make both entities work. So we had to make that fit, but as well decide what is more important to us at this point in life. And that was still the company. So we really made a clear decision that, Whatever happens, you know, the company has priority. So meaning that when we agree to a date on, I know, Thursday night or Friday night, but we had to prepare like an investor meeting for either Friday or that Monday, we would cancel that date because we want to be fresh and focused to prepare that meeting and then cancel the date. And it sounds a bit like harsh, but it makes it really honest and really clear on on how to deal with our relationship like if you don't make a clear decision someone can you know create like can experience friction business-wise that really helped us you know next to having separate whatsapp groups next to not discussing negative business uh topics in a private setting or negative uh, private topics in a business uh, setting that really helped because because the moment you're going to talk some you're going to introduce a negative private element in a business talk like who am i speaking to am i speaking to my girlfriend or am i speaking to my business partner and they have different interests and for me as well like my business partner i can have a really honest discussion about our our equity speeds and about what we should get paid but if i take the interests of my girlfriend who i want to care for and, and nurture and, and and vice versa as well I have com a completely different perspective. And then it becomes really muddy and really messy really quick. So, no, that really helped uh, definitely in the beginning. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, what we try to do here, here is to really go behind the scenes of, uh, of companies. And this is 
for sure behind the scenes um but is uh, is nice to see also the personal side and i guess in smaller businesses the personal side of each of the components of the team is really um plays a big part yeah that's a massive part i think and, and mainly like i think i think the benefit of having a private relationship but with your co-founder is that you understand that any relationship that being privately business-wise has an influence on like how you do work. So she understands now that I'm when I'm down or not up to yeah. my game. She understands like why that you know why that is there, and she can help me get out of it, and vice versa. So there's way more understanding. But as well to our employees, we do understand that you know either having Corona and having kids has an influence. If if you broke up with your partner, it does influence yourself in the business side of things and. A lot of companies almost ignore that element and only try to view, uh, only look at the business part of their employees. That's simply not a holistic view on what make you know humans either employees or humans at all. Absolutely, and staying on the human. Um topic let's say um you mentioned many times during these interviews some friends or some people that you met or that you knew um so some network and i wanted to ask you um as a founder and in particular yourself who do you turn to um if you need advice do you have a community of other funders do you have mentors who do you turn to yeah good question so we're actually like rebuilding that so we started out with like someone of a small board advisors and they mm -hmm. are mainly friends but with with relevant skills so one was uh mckinsey consultant the other one was like head of sales for a e-commerce startup right uh there was one who was on the sourcing end of things um there was a packaging specialist and a graphic designer So all the elements we, in a sense, needed to build the company. And that was actually really helpful in the beginning. Um, but then we moved abroad and we lost a bit touch with having that. Mm -hmm. And then you get caught up in, you know, in working in the business and not so much working on the business. Yeah. Um, and we now seen that having a, you know, a really having, having, I think, three elements. Like one, a we call them board of Franksters, meaning that is... Uh, our core customers, ambassadors, people that buy us frequently, you know, uh, who buy Frank Ritty, um, and, and, and have them in, it's a simple WhatsApp group, but everything we do from new design to new copy to new flavors, okay. we mm -hmm. firstly fed it with them, you know, like, does it align with them? Would they buy it? And of course, would they buy it is a horrible question to ask because, you know, within validation, which we use a lot, that's not a question you should ask, but to get a first initial idea of like, does this, you know, what is the initial reaction or response or how do they sure. feel mm -hmm. when we would launch a product? So that's one element. Uh, we do not have investors. We can go to for advice, especially on certain scaling issues. Um, but we're as well now working with a clear board of advisors and then not so much advisors based on our group of friends or acquaintances, but people that actually either have scaled impact companies, have scaled e-commerces, or have built and scaled brands. Uh, and we're actually now in yeah, the process of building that. And, and, and how we do that, like it's simply asking either our current network, people we know, whether they know someone, and approaching uh, people we think really fit our brand, our product, our company, or our mission, or have done something similarly to what we have done, uh, but then better. And ask them, like, 
are they open for a chat? Are they open for, you know, either a virtual or a physical uh, cup of tea uh, and discuss how they can help us uh, and, and where they can help us. And either they can be free of charge or they can get some advisory shares. That's all open for debate, depending on the involvement they have into the business. Uh, yeah, but that's a bit how we work. And, and maybe a good thing to mention, like I, um, on like more skills related topics, I use Growth Mentor, mm -hmm. which I really love. Uh, so it's a, it's a platform um, with a lot of product managers, marketeers, CMOs, head of growth, some founders uh, who give often advice free of charge, which I think, which, which I th still think it's crazy. It's almost too good to be true. Mm -hmm. uh, some you need to pay, but that's often, you know, uh, worth the money. Then again, we have a lot of really good advisors from Growth Mentor who could charge as well. But that really helped me with understanding beyond all the marketing, you know, buzz and fluff that's out there on all the online blogs to really understand on your core problem, on your proposition, on your, the copy you need on a certain website related to your proposition, how you should improve. And that coming from someone who has done it before, understands your sector, your product. Also is from them directly. Yeah, exactly. So, so, for example, like the, the director of SEO at Shopify is mm -hmm. a growth mentor. So you can approach him free, tell him your problem. Like, hey, I'm building the websites. You know, I need uh, uh, my uh, community page, my homepage. I need, I, need, I need to revise. Do you want to do a teardown with me in half an hour or an hour? And then, yeah, they, they open their time, uh, their calendar open up for you. And they go through that specific topic. So you don't have to dig deep into like all SEO kind of, you know, courses or yes. marketing blogs. You it's can simply jungle. ask them. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Um, you can ask them to help. So I learned like setting up Facebook campaigns with them. Uh, I learned to improve my customer research skills. I improve my validation skills. Um, I, I learned a bit of wireframing. I validated my wireframing process with them. Um, you know, up until like, how do you scale your brand? How do you, um, 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 build out your team all these topics you are pondering a bit about and you think like i don't know anyone in my network that has that knowledge they have it and, and i think i i got in really early so i'm paying a really low amount i think they now charge i i still think it's little especially when you pay from uh, when working for a company i think it's roughly 600 euros a year mm -hmm. but if you look at what you get back for it And if you would do this, you know, with any other freelancer advisor and they would charge anywhere in between 80 to like 150 euros an hour, it's nothing. So I've done, I think, up to like 50 calls like in a year. So, you know, I in essence got like 5K uh, value for, and I invested, I got it early in. So I got, I, th I think I paid out 300 euros a year. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's That's fantastic. But, it, yeah. but it's mainly the value that I get out of on, on like when I feel unstuck, They can, when I feel stuck, they can help me get unstuck. Absolutely. And is real great experts. This is, this is fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm very glad that you shared this. I'm sure it can help a lot of our listeners as, as well. I have one uh, last question for you. Um, and it's actually in uh, um, regarding advice. Anyways, what would be your advice to somebody who's about to start their own consumer brand? Firstly, I would ask them like, why 
why do you want a consumer brand? Like, why do you want to start? Like, and, and, and it's, do you start it because you want to be an entrepreneur and be yeah. rich? Do you believe all the startup stories in the media? Uh, really understand like why you want to start it because it's not an easy ride. You know, every Forbes article, every, you know, Wired uh, blog, you know, promotes those companies that are high growth or them amazingly but then again statistically 90% of companies started to fail in the first three years um, and there's a reason for that of course funding money wise you know it's all thing but it, it is really really difficult because you get confronted with your own shortcomings you know and, and you have to face them so understanding why you want to start it initially and it can be money if you're driven by money it's not my why, but if it's your why, it's fine. But really get that clear before you really start and get into the whole, you know, bravado of starting your own company and it's cool and it looks, there's all the companies that you read about online. I can tell you one thing, they haven't, they haven't been an overnight success. They've yeah. been bootstrapping, scraping by, investing their own money, uh, ha- having to ha- fire people, uh, having to, you know, reduce salary to zero, not having, not being able to pay themselves for like two to three years in a row, and then even maybe fail, and then maybe building a second or a third company, and then getting to that stage that they were, you know, that 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 Wired or Forbes or any other outlet is promoting about. Yeah. Um, so that will be my first step. Like, why are you doing what you're about to do? That makes a lot of sense. It's very good advice. Thank you very much, David. That was the last question for you. If our listeners want to get in touch with you and interact with you and the brand, sure. where can they find you? Um, we have a website, frankaboutt.com. It's as well for Instagram, at Uh We're building, you know, we're building uh, our Instagram uh, out now. and We're revamping the website. So don't go fully uh, on what you see now. It's going to more, be more colorful, more on the female tea moment. We have really, really good packaging coming out, but that's the first spot. Uh, yeah, and, and if there's any, you know, because to do a little pitch, like I'm not sure if you're also featuring in the Netherlands, but we're actually looking for Dutch marketeers at this point in time. So anyone with e-commerce experience, anyone with a someone of a sustainable mindset is happy to reach out to me directly at uh, david at frankaboutte.com. If you simply want to have good tea, uh, the website is, is the best one, best the place to go. So we ship, we ship uh, internationally. Fantastic. Thank you very much, David. This was so much fun. Thank you for coming and sharing all of this knowledge and experiences with, with us. It was really interesting. Thank you. Great. Was, uh, uh, yeah, happy to be there. And great talking to you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.